Ah, there it is. Okay, so I always wanted to do this. (laughs) Thanks. My wife has to say, it would have been funny if you would have fell. She's been there when I have gone to jump up on the tailgate of the truck and just misjudged it a little bit and then real quick, back down off the thing. I have a friend in Maine that said his goal in life was to be 70 years old and still be able to jump up on the tailgate of his truck. Hey, we all have goals for one thing or the other. Before we jump into Matthew 20, I wanted to go through a question. So I get, I've been getting some various questions and trying to answer those. And I wanted to share about this one from here, from the pulpit, because it's, it's a huge question. Even though it has a little, a little bit of a focus to the question, it actually leads to something much bigger in life. And the question is one that says, why does God give children to parents who do not want them? Why does God give children to parents who do not want them? And so while this is a question that's uh, difficult, and, and it becomes difficult to unpack because there are so many other questions that we have that are similar. Uh, so there's other questions like, why did God allow evil? Or why do children die from cancer? Or why do bad things happen to good people? And so the question of why does God give children to parents who don't want them falls under that same kind of category and becomes difficult for us to answer. And so I wanted to drill into that a little bit. And the primary answer for this is, God's love for us is so great that he's given us the opportunity to choose if we will love him back or we will turn away from him. And that really becomes the primary answer to to all of those types of questions. God loves us so much, so much. His love for us is so much that he's given us the opportunity to love him back or to turn away from him and choose our own purposes and not love him. And so in our turning away from him, there are many different sins that we endeavor to take on at different levels. And some of those sins that we take on are just self-indulgence. Some of them are actually drugs, alcohol, abuse, uh, all kinds of things that we would think are the evils in the world. And those things happen because we turn away from God and we turn away from his love and we choose not to love him in return. And so our turning away from God causes our hearts to grow cold and to grow harder. And there, and from there, our love for others dwindles. And even a parent's love for their own child dwindles and goes away. So why can't God make this different? Why can't God intervene and change this? And why can't, you know, to what extent do we want God to enforce on us our reciprocating his love for us? And enforcing on us to love him back. And in doing so, that would start to rid the world of the evils that we know that are around us, including uh, parents who would not want their children. And so the question then comes, how much do we want God to treat us like a marionette where we, where he has the strings and he is moving us around or to treat us like a puppet where his hand is up our back and, and every little word that comes out of our mouth is ones that would come from the mouth of God himself. And do we really want God to treat us in such a way? Do we really want God to have us as just a little doll where he pulls the string on the back of the doll and the doll goes, I love you, I love you. And he pulls the string again and and we say back to God, I love you, I love you. Well, is that really love for God? Or have we only become a toy or a marionette or a puppet in the hand of God where he's enforcing that on us? And so without that, The reality is we see the hurts and the pains in life, and that reflects the reality of people making bad choices and making sinful choices that are not not in line with what God would desire. The Bible is clear that he gives us the opportunity to make a choice. And when Joshua says, choose this day whom you will serve, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Choose. So we all end up with that choice. Do we want to love God 
and reciprocate the love of God that he has for us in loving him back, or do we want to chase after our own desires? And with that, we end up with sin in the world. So for children that are there with parents who don't want them, it's hard. It's very hard. It's difficult. For a parent who has lost a a young child to a, a disease, that's hard. It's very hard. But we're all taught that the love from God is unconditional, and thus in turn, our love for others and our love back to God should be unconditional. But when we're in difficult situations, as a child is, where a parent does not love them, they're actually being taught that love is conditional. They're being taught if I do A, B, and C, then everything will be good at home. And they're taught if I walk on eggshells very well, then mom and dad will like me today, let alone love me today. And they walk through that life in that way and to put the, the best foot forward and they start to see that love is, for them, conditional and not unconditional. But that's where we have a responsibility as a church. That's where we have a responsibility as Christians. Our love for others should not be conditional. Our love for others should not be whether they're good or bad or, or any other type of behavior. Our love should be in the same as the love of God is and was for us, that it's unconditional. And so when we see other people, we're to love when people are not loved. When we see other people, we're to hurt when they hurt. At the end of the day, a parent may not want a child, but I know that God wants that child. And as a church, we should want that child. I know that God's love is high, wide, and deep, and it's for that child. The Bible says that greater love has no man than this, than he'd lay down his life for his friends. So we end up faced with a difficult question. What is our choice? So that's what we can control. What is our choice? Where are we going to love? Who are we going to love? Can we love the unlovable? And so when we end up with a question like, why does God give children to parents that don't want them? It's because God's given us all free choice. He's given us the choice to either love Him, love those around us, or He's given us the choice to not do that. The question still sits back with us. Will we love when others don't want to love? And that's really how we can answer those difficult questions. Um, God hasn't made us a puppet. He hasn't put us in a place where he's going to control our every thought, our every deed. And he's given us, us that opportunity to follow him or to not follow him. Um, the choice really comes back to each of us and which way we would choose. With that, I'm going to jump into a crazy passage of Scripture, Matthew 20. Verses 1 through 16. Uh, I say a crazy passage of scripture because the parable, I believe, is familiar to us. And yet, I don't think it's one that we always think through and always take it to the end. And so we have this parable in Matthew chapter 20. And I'm going to be reading the first 16 verses. For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire men to work in his vineyard. He agreed to pay them a denarius for the day and sent them into his vineyard. And about, a third, about the third hour, he went out and saw others standing in the marketplace doing nothing. He told them, you also go and work in my vineyard, and I will pay you for whatever is right. So they went. He went out again about the sixth hour and about the ninth hour and did the same. And about the eleventh hour, he went out and found still others standing around. And he asked them, what have you been doing? What have you been standing Say it right. Why have you been standing here all day long doing nothing? Because no one has hired us, they answered. And he said to them, You also go and work in my vineyard. And when evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, Call the workers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last ones hired and going to the first. And the workers who were hired about the eleventh hour came and received a denarius. So when those who were hired first, they expected to receive more. But each one of them also received a denarius. 
And when they received it, they began to grumble against the landowner. And these men who were hired last worked only one hour, they said, and you had made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the work in the heat of the day. But he answered one of them, Friend, I am not being unfair to you. Didn't you agree to work for a denarius? Take your pay and go. I want to give the man who was hired last the same as I gave you. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Or are you envious because I am generous? So the last will be first, and the first will be last. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we look to your word to gain an understanding of this parable. The parable of the vineyard that you have given to us. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, brought this word forth. And we have it today to apply to our lives, apply to our hearts. Help us to think about where we are in the kingdom of God. Where we are in regards to our service for you. We thank you, Lord, for working in our lives through the power of your word. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So right away I'm going to jump to another chapter in the Bible, and I'm going to jump to John chapter 21. Because John chapter 21, we get a little bit of a story about when Peter uh, was being reinstated by Jesus Christ. The whole passage of, you know, do you love me, Peter? Yes, I love you, Jesus. And he gets to the point, he says, well, feed my sheep. Well, at the end of that story, and after Peter's reinstatement and getting that all back together, and Peter's okay, and I have to go feed the sheep, I have to take care of God's children, Peter then looks over at John and he says, yeah, but what about him? What about him? Come on, Jesus, you just called me out. You just went through this whole thing. What about John? You know, he's the one you love. What about him? And so in John 21, verse 22... Jesus answers. He says, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? You must follow me. Interesting verse of Scripture. But it points to that there are some things in life, just some things in life, that are none of our business. Really, it's none of our business. And Peter's basically saying, hey, Jesus, if you're going to make me a standout, if you're going to call me out on this, why don't you call John out on something too? I may have, I may have denied you, but at least, hey, at least I stayed close before I denied you. John ran away right away. What about him? And Jesus is saying back to Peter, it's none of your business. You have to stop worrying about John and start worrying about Peter and where Peter is. And he's saying to them, mind your own business. In our lives, we get caught up so often in other people's business. All the time. And we get caught up in other people's affairs, and often we do it to the neglect of our own affairs. Right? We're busy highlighting that the neighbor's grass needs mowed, and we neglect to look in our own backyard to see how high the weeds are in our own backyard. We drive by someone else's flower garden and say how dismal it looks, and we don't look at our own and say, I don't even have any flowers at my place. And we get caught up with these types of things. We get caught up with the fact that our coworker is driving a new car every other year, and we're saying, he must be getting paid way too much for what he does. How can he afford a new car? I know when I get paid and I can't afford one. And we get caught up in the affairs of other people. We, we get caught up in the affairs of our bosses at work. The boss can't lead a team out of a wet paper bag. He just, I don't know why that guy was made the foreman. He shouldn't have been made the foreman. Why does he get to be the lead? It, it, oh, he's just kissing up to the other bosses and that's why they promoted him. And we get caught up in these affairs of other people all the time and we don't look back at our own. Our own. And let's face it, the reality is it's not just out in the world. The reality is it's right here in the church as well. And we look and we say, hey, the Sunday school teacher, they're just not prepared enough. And then another person says, look, this Sunday school teacher, he or she, they just talk on and on and on and on, and they're so long-winded and they never shut up. And you say, look, the pastor, he's just doing too much stuff. And then somebody else on the other side of the row says, man, I wish the pastor would be a little bit more busy and do more. 
You know, and, and we look at the screens and we say, you know, if, if they wouldn't have made that red font up there on the screen, I could have read it better. And somebody else says, oh, I'm so glad that they're using something other than black and white because now it's nice red and yellow and bright and I can see it. And, and we get caught up in these affairs and we worry about them and trouble ourselves. Hey, did you see how they were flipping through the screens? That, that one song, they didn't flip it just right and, and we went back to the course but they went to the interlude and if they would have just flipped that right and we sit down in our chair and we don't we're not even the one up there flipping the screens and we're, we get caught up in this and we worry about it and we fret about it and, and it, for some reason gets us even uh, uh, all fired up about it you know did you see so and so they're volunteering all the time whenever there's something going on they're always the first one to put their name on the list and they're always right there volunteering and we're so worried about it, and then we don't think about the fact that I, I never volunteer at all for anything. And so Jesus looks at us and he says, It's none of your business. It's none of your business. Why don't you worry about yourself? If we really want to jump into this with two feet, and we get to the point, why did the pastor ask him to do that? Should have asked me. I could have done that better. Or, why did the pastor thank so-and-so, thank them for what they did, and he never stood up there and thanked me for what I did? You see, what I, I know I might be stepping on your feet, but do you see how we get caught up in worrying about these things? And, 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 and it troubles us, and it bothers us, and we... I, I don't know where you're sitting with this, and... I don't know if you never get caught up on all of this stuff. And so, you know, I'm just saying, Ralph, you're talking crazy stuff. But I think the reality is in all of our lives, I know in my life, I get caught up in this stuff. You know, hey, why does the neighbor, why does he get to put up one of those political signs that I don't like? And if I put up my political sign, everybody will be mad. And we get caught up in it and we worry about it and fret about it. If you bear with me. For a moment, I want to jump into a little bit of wordsmithing for you. And you don't have to agree with this picture. You don't have to agree with these words. But I, I, want, to, I want you to understand some words because it's going to help us understand the parable and help us understand the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God. Now, right now, I, there's no difference between the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of God. They're the same thing. They're used interchangeably throughout Scripture. And it depends on where you... So I, I don't want to get caught up in that this morning. But our parable is the kingdom of heaven. So... We live in a day where there's a loud cry, a loud cry for equality. Hopefully everybody has heard about this, and I'm not just speaking on deaf ears this morning. There is a loud cry in our day for equality. I want you to understand how this, this works. Did you ever stop and ask yourself the question, what does equality mean? What does equality mean? And there's a loud cry for equality today in our day. And I'm not going to try and answer that question of what equality means because each person that's crying out for that must answer what they mean by equality. But I want us to be able to understand what equality means in our own lives and what it means in the kingdom of heaven to understand this parable better. And so understand this. I'm going to give you a little bit of analogy and I'm going to pick on my children in regards to this analogy of equality. So I do love my children equally. I do love my children equally, but they aren't equal because one's a boy and one's a girl. So you understand that? I love my children equally, but they are not equal. One's a boy, one's a girl. One's six foot three, the other one's five foot four, three, something. Right? They're not equal. I want to take this a little bit further. I'm pretty sure that I gave my children equal opportunity in life. I'm pretty sure I gave my children equal opportunity in life. Encouraged them to go to high school, to graduate high school. Helped them financially to go to college, to go to the colleges of their choice. To help them even, even further in their education. So I gave them the equal opportunity in their lives. But they're not equal. They have two different jobs. They get two different pays. They have two different kinds of health plans at their places of work. And so even though they had the equal opportunity, they both chose to go different directions. And they both have different occupations and different jobs. And in such, they are not equal. 
in that aspect. I'll give you another one. You could say that I'm one of those parents that spoiled their children. So I gave my children equal opportunity and bought them their first cars. And you can say I'm a bad dad. Those that are getting to that age of wanting to get a car, take it for whatever you want. And, and so my daughter's sitting down there right now with her hands and, and the scales in her hand. So I gave them both an equal opportunity where we would get them their first cars. And they got the car, the vehicle they chose. But as my daughter will tell you to this day, that Saturn S2 was not equal to the Jeep Grand Cherokee. She wanted that Saturn S2, and she got it. And he wanted that nice, fancy Jeep Grand Cherokee. And he got it. Not new. Don't get me... No, don't, don't go there. Not new. But so I loved them equally and gave them both the equal opportunity and indulged them equally, if you would. But they both made a choice of a different kind of vehicle, and those vehicles were not equal. And so hopefully you're getting a picture that there's a little bit strange and twist to the word equality, depending on what you want to put into it. See, one part of being equal you get to this part where it's it's in reference to equity. And equity is where both have the same treatment, the same opportunity, the same love, the same care, the same concern. And that's equity. When, when I approach something with the same love and concern and opportunity, that's equity. But when I go to the word equality, and what some people would refer to equality... Equality does not always exist. And it will not always exist because things in life will not always be equal. So the part of equality, which is equity, should always be there. And is there in the kingdom of heaven where there's the love, the concern, the care, the opportunity. And it is there in the kingdom of heaven, the equity part of equality. But the result of that equality does not always end up with the same result. Sometimes one takes this job and sometimes one takes this job. Sometimes a person's a boy and sometimes a person's a girl. And sometimes a car is expensive and sometimes a car is not expensive. And so we don't always have an equal result. Do you remember the song for Armor Hot Dogs? Oh, I think this song is pretty much taboo today. But that song, every once in a while, will come back in my mind. And it came back in my mind, right? Hot dogs, armor hot dogs. What kind of kids eat armor hot dogs? And this is the part that's really bad. Fat kids, skinny kids, kids that climb on rocks, right? It gets worse. Tough kids, sissy kids, even kids with chicken pox love hot dogs. Armor hot dogs, the dogs, kids love to bite. It doesn't seem very equal, does it? But it does because they all get hot dogs. Did you, did you get the jingle? Armor hot dogs. What kind of kids love armor hot dogs? See, they all get hot dogs, but the kids are not equal. And, and you know, fat kids, skinny kids, kids that climb on rocks. Tough kids, sissy kids, even kids with chicken pox. And so we have equality from the aspect of they all get hot dogs, but we don't have equality because all of the children are different. And so, yes, that song would be so wrong in our day, but it teaches us a lesson about equality, and we can bring it back to the kingdom of heaven. Because in the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, not all things are equal. Jesus Christ gave his life on the cross to die for our sins. God's love for us is so great, so great, so high and wide and deep is God's love for each and every one of us. That is the equality, the equity that has poured out into all of our lives. And yet, with God's love for us and God's forgiveness for each and every one of us who will, in turn, receive that forgiveness, there is that equity of forgiveness. 
that we each are forgiven. Confess your sins and He is faithful and just to forgive, forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That is a promise to every single believer that if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. At no point does He ever look at you and say, nope, nope, you don't get forgiveness. See, there is equality, there is equity in the kingdom of heaven that is poured out into our lives where we can all stand before God as righteous because His righteousness is poured out on each and every one of us and in such... We We have equality. We have equity in our lives. God's love for us is not greater for one person than the other. But I will tell you that Jesus did teach us that the person who is forgiven much loves more back to him. And immediately we start to drop away from equality. I get into the scriptures and I start to see that there's things that say there are some that are apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. What does Paul ask? He asked the question, are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, do all work miracles? Throughout the book of Acts, you, you read about the church in the book of Acts where there are some churches that had a ton of money. And he gave them to other churches that were poor and didn't have anything to survive on. It's not a, that's not equality. When, when one, one church is rich and the other church is poor and they, and they share amongst each other. See, it wasn't equality. Why did God allow that church to be rich and this church to be poor? If he loved them both the same, again, equity means that God loved them both the same. But the result of that love was not what we always see with our eyes to be equality. Do you shop at Kohl's? My wife likes to shop at Kohl's. I wrote this before she went to Kohl's yesterday. I did. Honest to God's truth. You know, if you have a Kohl's credit card, I don't know how many people of you have a Kohl's credit card. But every once in a while, they send you one of those nice magazines in the mail. And it has a little sticker on it. It's it's like playing the slot machine for Christians. Let's face the reality. You get the magazine, and it comes in the mail, and it has that little sticker on it. It says, you can receive up to 30% off. And the 30 is in big, big numbers. And then in little numbers, or you can get 15 or 20. And you're like, okay, I'm going to peel this sticker off. And you peel the sticker off, and you peel it off, and you're like, oh, it's 15. And you throw it in the recycle bin. That's what I did. That's what I did with the Coles magazine. And it's like, oh, it's only 15, and I threw it in the recycle bin. I'm not even telling my wife about it because I'm not telling her unless it's a 30. It'd be cheap that way. Now, think about this. Think about Coles. Why does Coles get away with doing that to us? Shouldn't Coles treat us all equally? We should all get the 30% when it comes in the mail. We all get the 15. See, Sam knows the Sam knows the trick. We all get the 15. There was one 30 percenter, and it was sent out to somebody that's out in Wisconsin somewhere. <laughs> yeah. And I don't know what their numbers are, but Coles knows enough. Hey, you have a credit card. I'm going to send you a magazine. And that's the equality. Everybody gets the magazine. But only some people get the 30 percent off, and others the 20, and some the 15. And you know, we we live with that with Kohl's. I'm okay with it. I don't always like it when it says 15. I'd rather it say 30, and I'm okay with it. And if you get a Kohl's magazine, you're probably okay with it as well. And if we're okay with it with Kohl's doing it, then why am I not okay with God doing it? Back to the kingdom of God, to the kingdom of heaven, because this is where it's at. What happens is we want to play God and we want to play the game of everything has to be fair and equal. And I want God to handle all of our lives fair and equally and treat us all the same. And if he's going to answer your prayer of healing with a yes, then he better answer my prayer of healing with a yes. And if he's going to answer your prayer for meeting a financial need with a yes, then he better answer my prayer for a financial need with a yes. And if he is going to allow your children to live long through life and never get sick and never get cancer and to live happy, happy lives until they're the ripe age of 85 or whatever it may be, then I want him to do that for my children. And they should live happy, happy lives right up until the ripe ripe age of 85. And we get into this game of the kingdom of heaven where we believe that God should treat all of his children exactly the same 
I don't want to ever be sick. I don't want to ever be hurt in an accident. And everyone should live to the exact old age. And at some point, we just close our eyes and go to sleep and we wake up in heaven. And God looks at me and he looks at you and he laughs and says, that's not reality in the kingdom of heaven. That's not reality. And he wants us to bring our fantasy world back to a reality. See, I want a kingdom of God where when you get a blessing, I get a blessing. I want a kingdom of God where when your prayer is heard, my prayer is heard. I want a kingdom of God where if your child doesn't get sick, then mine doesn't get sick. I want a kingdom of God where if you have deep communion with God, I should instantly just get that same deep communion. And again, God says they're crazy thoughts, Ralph. And that's why I gave you Matthew chapter 20. For you to understand that the love of God is equal. The love of God is equal. But we all don't get the same results in this life. So I want us to look at the kinds of people that are in this story. And that's where my focus is going to be this morning in the time we have left to blaze through these people that are here. And that's what I'm going to do is blaze through them and catch where they're at. First kind of people are the ready responders. These are the people that were right there at the beginning of the story. I'm not going to go through the verses. The boss man comes out. He sees all the people that are standing on the street corner. And he says to the crowd, maybe it was 30, 40, 50 people, whoever, whatever was there, the way the story reads, and if you read it in detail, you'll understand. He doesn't say, hey, you five head out to my vineyard. He says to the whole group of them, head out to my vineyard and work. They're the people, and then the, uh, five of them, ten of them, I don't know how many, but out of that crowd that was there, only, uh, only some of them went off and responded. They were the ready, the responders. They're the, what we call the, what is it, the, Hatch, match, and dispatch group. Do you know what the hatch, match, and dispatch group is? It's when I came to church knee-high to a grasshopper. I was hatched in church. You know, my parents brought me to church as a baby. At some point, I was in church, and I married somebody. I was matched in church. And at some point, when this life is over, I'm going to be dispatched from church. And I was hatched, matched, and dispatched. Been there the whole time, the whole length of it. You know, parents were a Christian. I came to church. At some point, when I was a little kid, I said, yes, I want Jesus to be the, my Savior from sin and forgive me. And I'm right there, one of those ready responders. When God came out the first time, and he says, come on, I need workers in my vineyard. And he carried us off. And I want to cut right to the chase. The vineyard is God's church. The vineyard is God's church. We are the workers. Anyone who believes in Jesus Christ, we are the workers in his church. And the payment, the denarius in our story, the payment is we have eternal life. There are the three main things in our story. The vineyard is God's church. The workers are believers. And the payment, the denarius, is we have eternal life. There's your payment, eternal life. And so if you're a little kid and you say, yes, I want to follow Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior, and you go off and you're ready to work and and God puts you to work in his kingdom, and your payment at the end of the day is eternal life. There's the payment we're going to receive. Today is the day of salvation. We hear the message of Jesus and we respond to that and we receive his forgiveness. We jump on the bandwagon and we're moving forward. Um, doing things God's way. We, we look forward to the day when God will say to us, well done, my good and faithful servant. We look forward to the hope of eternity. And we're moving forward. We're a ready responder. In a way, anybody that's in the church, anybody in the church is a ready responder. But we do move to a different group of people. And I need to go and look at this as a 12-hour day. We have the people at 9 o'clock, the people at noon, the people at 3 o'clock, and the people at 5 p.m. You got all the different people. They're all one group of people. I'm going to call them the roaming responders. And the reason I call them the roaming responders is, why didn't they go work in the vineyard when the boss man came at the beginning of the day? They were there. They were there. Nothing in our scripture ever tells us that they weren't there. And actually, Scripture points to the fact that they were there when we get into a couple of verses there, because they actually say... At verse 6 and verse 7, if I turn back to those, at about the 11th hour, about 5 p.m., he went out and found still others standing around. They're just standing around, roaming around. He asked them, why have you been standing here all day long doing nothing? I'm not reading it into the story. Why have you been standing here all day long doing nothing? Weren't you here at 6 a.m. when I called the first group of people to come work for me? And you're still standing here at 5 p.m., 
waiting for something to come along. And then they said, well, no one has hired us, they answered. And he said to them, you also, go and work in my vineyard. What do you mean no one has hired you? I showed up at 6 a.m. and called you to come work in my vineyard. I showed up at 9 a.m. and called you to come work in my vineyard. I showed up at noon, I showed up at 3, and here I am at 5 p.m., and you're still roaming around. Come work in my vineyard. And he's calling people to be them. I want to take this 12-hour day, 6 a.m. to 6 p.m., that's the work day we have, and let's just call we live 80 years. I'm a hatch, match, and dispatch guy, a ready responder. I went when I was a kid, seven, eight years old, whatever it is. But then we had the 9 o'clock group. They're the people that are 20-something, 20-some-year-olds that respond to the gospel and say, I want, I want to follow Jesus Christ. They join a church, and they become part of the kingdom of God. They're working in the vineyard, in the church, and they're working for God, the 20-somethings. You get to the next group, the noon group. They're the 40-sums. They're 40-some years old, and they respond to the gospel. You get to the next group, 3 p.m.s. They're the 60-year-olds, 60 early 60s, and someone comes to them with the gospel. They spent their whole life chasing other things in their life. And at 60-some years old, they come to God, and they believe in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, and they get involved in a church, and they're busy working for God and, and doing everything they can for God at 60-some. You get to the 5 p.m. group. They're the 75-year-olds and plus. I mean, we're talking end of life, nursing home. Long-term care, those types of situations, deathbed situations. And God says, are you going to follow me? And they're like, well, no one's ever asked us to come work in a vineyard. And God said, well, what do you mean no one's asked you? I asked you when you were a kid. I asked you when you were a 20-some. I asked you when you were a 40-some. I asked you when you were a 60-some. And here I am giving you one last chance. If you want to come work in my vineyard, just go work in the vineyard. And they don't have an opportunity to do much work at all. If anything, you can witness some, some of them can witness to the nurse that comes by their room. The two thieves on the cross. You, you talk about, you know, there's a, there's a 5 p.m.er. The one thief on the cross, all he could do is witness to the other thief on the cross and say, hey, what are you making fun of this guy? He didn't do anything wrong. He didn't, he didn't have a lot, a, a lot of opportunity to work at all in the vineyard. And yet God called him heavenward. So we have the different groups of people, and it's why I call the group the roaming responders. They're just roaming through life looking for something, looking for something to fulfill them. Whenever the boss comes, they see the boss coming, and they, they say, Hey, I'm going to go hide around the corner. Just whistle when he's gone. I don't want to deal with that guy. He's obnoxious. I don't like working in the vineyard. I don't like the people over in the vineyard. I don't like the things they stand for over in the vineyard, and I don't want nothing to do with the vineyard, the church. And they hide around the corner, and then when the boss man leaves, then they come back out and they're roaming around again, hanging out with their friends, waiting for some other fulfillment to come, waiting for some other opportunity to come, waiting for something that's going to bring joy into their lives and bring hope into their lives and bring satisfaction into their lives. And they're not finding it. They're standing there all day long, and nothing's coming along. There's no other opportunity other than the kingdom of heaven. And so eventually... Some of them do realize, you know, we're never told in our story how many people didn't respond at 5 p.m. We're never told. We're never told how many people were there at noon that didn't go out and work in the vineyard, that just gave up and wandered away. We're not told about any of those people at all. I believe they were there. I believe that's why the Gospels tell us that today is the day of salvation. When we hear the call of the Master, when we hear the call of the Boss that says, Come work in the vineyard, come to me, all you who are heavy, burdened. And He's calling them into the church, into a relationship with God. And the question becomes, will the roaming responders respond to the Gospel? The Gospel goes out, it's heard, but it gets ignored over and over. I don't want to commit to that religious stuff. I don't want to go and hang out with those stuffy people down at the church. They're all stuck on their beliefs. I don't want to deal with those types of things. But it sticks around and the story sticks around and the gospel message will always keep going out. I encourage you, if you are one of those roaming responders, even today, don't wait for the 5 p.m. hour. Sometimes the 5 p.m. hour never comes. That's the danger of being a roaming responder. There is another group of people. I have to keep blazing through this. We do have the ready responders, the roaming responders, but then there's the reaching responders. And this is the danger for each and every one of us. When we come into the kingdom of God, when we've said, yes, I want to follow Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior, when I want to be where God wants me to be, this is my danger. 
There's the pit we need to avoid where we're reaching, where we're expecting. Remember the denarius in our payment, in, in our story, the payment, the denarius, is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. The salvation that only can come through Him. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Wages. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. It's what God's willing to give to us if we're willing to go and be part of His church to work in the vineyard. When we're part of the ready responder crowd, we have to be careful to not get envious of people that come along later. We have to be careful of not getting envious of other people in the church that God would reward or God would appoint or God would designate into various places in life. Because if we do, we find ourselves being one of these reaching responders where we're expecting more out of God than what God is ready to give to us. If it was, if it was up to fairness and equality, None of us would be here. None of us. If it was fairness and equality. Because the wages of sin is death. My sin, no matter how small, no matter how big, and, and I have it, raise my hand and say, I have my own sin. If I'm dealing with equality, I deserve death. And if you're dealing with your own life and the sin in your own life, the payment is death. So we're not even dealing with equality at this point. I'm dealing with a God who loves us so much. A God who loves us so much that He is willing to send His Son to die on the cross so we could have forgiveness of sins. It's way beyond equality. It doesn't seem fair at all. The man who was without sin died so that way I can live. That's not equality. It's love. But if I find myself being one of these reaching responders, I'm looking for way more, way more out of God. I don't want my children sick. And God, you owe it to me. She has a ready responder. As a ready responder, ready for the danger? You're walking along the Christian path. And you look back and you say, God... See what I did 15 years ago? Isn't that pretty good? That's good. God, do you, do you see how over the last 12 years, faithfully, I have sang on the worship team every other week? God, I have had perfect attendance in church for 14 years running. God, I, I do my devotions every day without miss. And you see it. See, look, I'm looking back, God, down the path. Come on, God. I expect more. Those are the words that were in our scripture passages. The, the guys that started out at the beginning of the day, they looked, at, they looked at the master and they said, I expect something more. We labored through the heat of the day. We worked hard for you in the vineyard, in the church. I did a lot for you, God. I expect. And when we get there, we're in trouble. We're in big trouble. Because the promise that God has given to us is a hope of eternal life. Now, will God cascade blessings down into our lives? Sure He does. But He never owes me. And I dare not, dare not expect that He owes me. Because what He owes me is a gift of eternal life through Christ Jesus my Lord. And that's what he promises to give me. If you know who Veruca Salt is, and Willy Wonka fame, she says, I want a ball, I want a party, pink macaroons and millions of balloons, <laughs> and performing baboons, and give it to me now. I want the world, I want the whole world, I want to lock it up in my pocket, it's my bar of chocolate, give it to me now. I want today, I want tomorrow, I want to wear them like braids in my hair, I don't want to share them. I want a party with rooms full of laughter, 10,000 tons of ice cream, and I don't want, and if I don't get the things I'm after, I'm going to scream. 
I want the works. I want the whole works. Presents and prizes and sweets and surprises of all shapes and sizes. And now, don't care how, I want it now. And when we think it's funny when we look at Veruca Salt in that movie and we can laugh at her greed, but when we look at our own lives in the kingdom of heaven, are we sitting there with greed before God and saying, God, I want your hand. And he's saying, what about my face? Are you looking here? And we have to be careful to not find ourselves being a reaching responder, expecting those things out of God. Horatio Spafford who wrote, It Is Well With My Soul. If you've ever looked at his life, and I know I shared it before, and I'll share it again here this morning, Horatio Spafford was a rich lawyer in Chicago. He was well-known in his home. He was well-known for his Christian charity, his generosity, his Christian testimony, and he was well-to-do. He was married. He had five children, a boy and four girls. His son died when he was four years old. A year later, in 1871 of October, it was a massive Chicago fire. And it left Horatio and his family with substantial financial loss. They lost almost everything. They were devastated. So, two years later, he decides to send his wife and his four children away on vacation, on holiday to England. And their ship sinks. In 12 minutes, the ship sinks in the middle of the ocean. All four of his girls are dead. And then Horatio leaves to go and join his wife. And he writes the song, It is well with my soul. When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever's my lot, thou hast taught me to say, It is well, it is well with my soul. Fifteen years later, Horatio Spafford died from malaria. You can look at his wife, at his life, look at his life and the devastation that hit, hit him and his wife. And you can say, wow, why didn't God pour something out on his life? Here's a man that carried forward his testimony right to the end. But he knew that he had the salvation of God in his life. And so he could say, it is well with my soul. Everything, everything that I can grasp from Horatio Spafford was he was never a reaching responder saying, God, you owe me. God was always good enough for him. So what do we do with all of this? I have to ask the question, what is your perspective on what God owes you? We're here inside a church. Believers in Jesus Christ. What is it that God owes you? Anything? You're still lingering by the side of the road, waiting for someone to come and invite you into the, into the work of the vineyard. I encourage you today that today is the day of salvation. That you look to Jesus for forgiveness. You look to Him for cleansing from sin. You look to Him as the one that will bring salvation into your life. The hope of all eternity to become a responder to Jesus Christ. But as followers of Jesus, are we ready and willing to work for God? Are we ready and willing to labor for Him? Are we looking back at God and saying, God, you owe me? Are we looking to God and saying, you have fulfilled everything, every need that I have because you have given me salvation? Or are we looking to God to say, just give me a little bit more. I want more in this life. I need a little bit more of health and wealth and prosperity for me, for my children, for generations to come. Or is the hope that lies within you of eternal life good enough? Good enough to know that heaven has a home for you and awaits you. Jesus wraps the whole crazy story up with, so the last will be first and the first will be last. I think that message really comes down to let's make Jesus first in our lives. Put Jesus first in our lives. He's come to seek and to save the lost. If you want to know why Jesus came, Jesus didn't come to give us good stuff. 
He didn't come to give us health. He didn't come to give us wealth. He didn't come to give us fame. Jesus came to seek and to save the lost, of which each and every one of us are, were, and needing Him as a Savior. We need to keep working till Jesus comes. To keep working till Jesus comes. Why? Because at the end of the day, I get salvation. I get heaven. And that's our reward. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I do look forward to the day when I will stand before you someday. Not saying I'm anxious to get there, Lord. Not rushing a time clock. But I do look forward to that day, Lord. And I pray that for each and every one of us here, that we are all looking forward to that day when we will receive our reward in heaven. That heaven itself is our reward. To just stand in your presence. Just to be in your presence in a way that we only get glimpses of now. That's the hope that we lie, rely on, Lord. That we, we fully trust in, Lord. That you have come to seek and to save the lost. And in our lives, we have responded to you. Oh, we're thankful for the blessings we have in this life. We're thankful that you've called us to great and wonderful works here. We thank you for your miracles. We thank you for the way that you strengthen us and touch our lives. We thank you for all of the good things that you give to our lives, Lord. But all of that is nothing. All of that is nothing, Lord, compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing you as Lord and Savior. There is the greatness, Lord. And we may know you. Thank you for your salvation. We thank you for that gift. So wonderful and free. We can call on the name of the Lord and be saved. What a great place to be, Lord. May we all find our hearts in such a place today. May our eyes all be fixed heavenward while we work in your vineyard today. We ask that you continue to keep us and guide us. We ask that you continue to be a light that shines into our world. We ask, Heavenly Father, in in, in a year that is crazy, it just seems every day and every week gets a little bit more crazy, Lord, that you continue to intervene into our lives. We need you. We need your grace every day. We also need your reminder every day to keep our hearts heavenward bound, keep our eyes fixed on you, because we know that you will guide us with your eye. Be with us, keep us, strengthen us. We ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Have a great week. Be blessed by God.